Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm Nick Lewis. I'm your host. Welcome back for another edition. We're nearing 50. We got a couple more to go. Today's guest, though, man, he brought it. It's one of the shorter ones, but it's good. So much content. Anytime you can be around someone that wants to influence others and help others transition in some of the hardest times of their life, yeah, think about it, man. When we're kids, you play sports and you think you're going to play forever. You know it's not a reality because nobody can play forever. But the transition has a kick in at some point. And for someone who's been there and struggled through it to now help others do it, it's amazing to hear his point of view. It's even amazing to hear his journey, even how he got to the pro level. Without further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from Cleveland, Ohio, and went to the University of Ohio State. Then went to play for the Calgary Stampeders, Buffalo Bills, Atlanta Falcons, and the Hamilton Cats of the CFL and the NFL. He led Ohio State in sacks and tackles for loss in his senior season. He's a Grey Cup champion, and now he's the founder of the Buck Icon Foundation. Welcome to the show, James Cotton. What's up, brother? What's happening, man? I appreciate that introduction, man. You got to throw the THE Ohio State in there, though, man. It's not the University of Ohio State. It's THE Ohio State, man. You had some Buckeyes see, on your team, man. You- see, I, I get that with Rambo, man. And <laughs> between Miami, the U, and Ohio State, THE Ohio State, like, come on, man. What's the most prominent college? Without uh, bias. Without bias. Without bias? I would have to say the Ohio State, man, just because of, <laughs> because of the alumni association, <laughs> the amount of funds that our alumni is able to generate, man. And um, I just think like all the way across the board, man, with like sports, it's like we, we're dominant in like certain sports, sports, but we kind of like right there and all of the rest of the sports, man, is like growing. We was like 20 time national champions, like stuff you wouldn't even think of, but Ohio State does a good job with distributing the funds, man, that the football program brings in and it keeps, you know, it keeps the university afloat. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. You know, we, we think about COVID and, and, you know, not having fans or I know Ohio State says they still want to have 40,000, 50,000 in the stands. So when you're, when you're looking at it, though, and you think the football program funds all the other programs' scholarships and allows them to – allows a lot of kids to be able to go to school and have these programs because if the football team doesn't bring in that money, you don't have those programs. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, that's why football is so huge here at Ohio state. And because everybody know what's at state and everybody do realize that the football program does generate a lot of the income. Yeah. And it's like, you know, everybody's on the same page though. It's like, we understand that these sports need these funds to survive. And then when you get the people that, you know, contribute big dollars to the university, you know, that's the kind of stuff that they want to be able to brag, you know, to their buddies at the golf clubs or the yacht clubs that, hey, you know, you know, we just donated a million bucks to, and then, you know, it, it definitely coincides with going right into the programs that, you know, that the football program funds. And so, I mean, it's, at the end of the day, it's about bragging rights and it just makes the university look better. And then you, as an alumni, you feel honored when you can say the Ohio State. 
Man, I'm a Division II walker. So I don't know nothing about that. We, uh, D Southern, no, 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 no. I know you've probably seen the news. What do you think about um, Patterson at TCU? Have you Patterson. seen it? Um, Gary Patterson uh, just came out. His uh, team walked off the field, I guess, on him. Boycotted practice yesterday um, because he said the N word. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that. I haven't even heard about it, but I've heard other situations um, at Oklahoma State um, yeah. how their coach was um, using some racial slurs back in the day and. You know, I think the players wanted him to confront those issues and deal with them and talk about it. And he kind of dealt with it in a childish kind of way. But, I mean, these coaches, man, they need to be held accountable. They're really not held accountable because they can just basically dip up, dip up out on these students, student athletes, and leave them high and dry when that's the reason you kind of go to a school. Yeah. And, you know, it's not fair for when an athlete decides to leave. You know, you got to go through all of these application processes and get okays from the coaches to be like, can I please play in the same conference? And, you know, like, so if you don't get along with a coach, you should be willing to, you know, you should be able to leave whatever university you tied to and move on if it's not a good fit for you. And it's like, I don't think these kids understand how much power they have but a lot of guys aren't familiar with how law works. So if I was a, a football, standout football player or just a football player in general and I wanted to leave and, you know, it's not a suitable situation for me, myself, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, it, it's a mental, I'm having mental issues and mental health awareness isn't nothing to play with. So yeah. you find yourself in that situation and it's, and it's tinkering with your mental health and your well-being then there's always an out clause when it comes to that. Yeah, and, and, you know, I guess that he apologized, but he's saying that he didn't call one of the players that word. He just said, he just told a player, you keep saying the word. And instead of saying, quit saying the N-word, he says, quit saying N-I-D-D-E-R. So, right. <laughs> and even in the headlines, they were talking about hard R. And I was like, hard R? Like, <laughs> Like, come on, man. He can't even say it with the soft A. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's a, that's, a, that's a very good point. And it's just like, you know, at, at this day and age, if you don't know and understand the magnitude of the word and how, you know, degrading it is, and then for you to just use it because you hear some of your players use it. And, you know, it's, honestly, it's been a part of the African-American vernacular for such a long time that it's become immune to us. Almost like, you know, they want it to become immune to us that we get beat by our officers or, you know, we have all of these problems with society just based on the color of our skin. Our skin. And unfortunately, you know, I'm a little bit biased when it comes to that because I am African-American, so it's like, yeah. it, it's close to home because I, I was, you know, a student athlete. I was harassed by the police. I never once heard a coach use the N word around me. Now, how I would have reacted to it, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I, I could honestly say I don't know. <laughs> but you know, you've been put in a situation where you just black out. Like if somebody disrespect you, or you know, like that, it it hurts, man. Like yeah. at the end of the day, you know, it becomes an emotional you know, thing. And it's like, 
Um, I've, I've done some emotional training to help deal with some of my anger management issues that I've had over the years and struggled with. And so just like processing your emotions and how you react to things is a big part of that. So, And it, it creates a divide in the team because there's, I see some players are already saying, well, he didn't call nobody that. So uh, quit believing what you hear. Um, and it's going to create a divide because some players are like, you know what, I have a hard stance. He shouldn't be saying the word period. And then some players are like, well, he was using it in context. Well, you can use it in context or you say he's using it in context all you want, but he used it. So if you just just so happen to walk in and you hear him saying it and you don't know, you don't know how he's using it. Like you just walk up, you just walk into that. Like, I mean, you could obviously take that the wrong way and, you know, maybe go and attack them or however you, <laughs> however you deal with people that use their word. But it is definitely a divisive thing that's now going to, uh, screw up the synergy of their team, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, I don't see them, you know, winning many ball games unless they got great leadership. That's where, you know, leaders and team captains got to, you know, hold each guy accountable for their actions. And, you know, guys got to lead by example. And it's just got to be out there. Like if they can have a team meeting and, and put everything out there and just kind of like basically have a funeral service for, you know, this transgression that just happened, then they should be able to move forward. But until that happens and everybody get to voice their opinions, their emotions and things like that, that's one of the many things that I've learned in the years. I was a grief counselor for a little bit for the Ohio State Medical Center. And so that was like a big thing that I helped athletes with as far as like um, when they're done with their careers is like being able to grieve about it, yeah, not be ashamed about it and grieve about it. And, you know, take time to really celebrate it and grieve about it and be emotional about it. And that way it'll be easier for you to transition. Yeah, let's let's get into that because you're like me, myself. I'm a man of many hats. I work in a lot of different fields and, and do a lot of different things. And I want to help as many people as possible. And you're along those same lines. Just talk about some of the things that you've started doing and that you continue to do since uh, your days were done playing football. Yeah, I was done playing, I believe, 2008, somewhere around in there, man. And the the whole time while I was playing professional football, I would come back to Ohio and, and take classes at, down on campus. And that would be my off-season, man, training at Ohio State, taking classes. And I finally graduated in 2007. And I knew that my professional career was basically on the decline. Um, i never forget Hank Burris turned the corner on me and I was playing defense. <laughs> I said, Hank too old to be getting around the corner on me. <laughs> I was like, damn, I think I might have lost a step. But uh, I only, only had one arm and it was attacking my, my, my bad arm. I had a cast on, so it was like I couldn't grab nobody. But, you know, once I understood that my career was pretty much winding down, man, um, it was like, I really didn't have no plan B. I had thoughts of it, but I really didn't have anything constructive. And so that's what I think a lot of players struggle with is not having something concrete and, and you know, an itinerary for themselves once they're done playing. And so that's what I've been able to do, man, is um, helping guys that just recently graduated um, and not just athletes, but I help everyday individuals just transitioning in life, man. It's like I have a nice template of, um, 
essential life skills that people need to enhance in order to uh, be successful or, and have a positive outcome in their transition. And so that's the whole thing is to make sure you're having a positive transition. And so I talk a lot about this. I have a YouTube channel. So if anybody's out there listening, want to check out, I actually just dropped the episode this morning talking about sharing the love. That's what our society needs right now is some love. So hop on YouTube channel, Buck Icon, B-U-C-K-I-C-O-N. And then um, all my videos will pop up. Just click subscribe, get notified. But that's kind of like how I came to it is because I had a struggle when I transitioned. I didn't quite know what I was going to do. I had just graduated, you know, after playing professional football, had some money saved up. And then honestly, man, I blew through that money because I had it saved up for that reason. And when you don't have income coming in, I couldn't figure out how to bring income in at that particular time. And so um, I got a couple of mentors. I got involved with the grief program, working with children, helping children and teens through the grieving process. Man, I was able to get a couple of consultant contracts um, with the university. Um, I started the Tackle Tobacco campaign where I go around and talk about the youth about the importance of staying away from tobacco and harmful yeah. products and harmful people. And so, man, everything just fell in the line after that. And so that's guys come to me as a resource. So now when guys get done, I'm either helping them getting ready for the NFL or playing professionally or helping them transition into getting a job in the workforce, teach them how to publicly speak, build resumes, um, and just understand how to use the power of your football experience and take advantage of it. Yeah, I, I believe that, like, you know, when you're in college, more college athletes will have a bigger platform than when, even when they go to the NFL. There's a lot of college players that, that are huge college stars, go to the NFL, and they have good careers, but they don't have the same platform. Everybody still remembers them from their college days. Um, I remember one guy, um, personally, um, I think his name was Gonzalez Receiver. Um, he went from Ohio State to the Colts, and he played it. Oh. And he played probably like eight eight years, I believe. He had some injuries, um, but he had a, such a bigger platform there at Ohio State than he ever had in the NFL, right? And you know, with you working with these college athletes to transition, um, but also learn how to monetize and brand to properly brand themselves, so that they can capitalize on what they built through their college career. You saying that was a, what was the first part of the question? No, How I, do you I was just saying it? like, I was just saying like, you know, that's, that's great that you're doing that because, okay. because these guys are, they believe that the money is in the NFL, but we know yeah. that it's not long-term. Right, for sure. Right. The average, so the average, to... the average lifespan is what two point three years playing professional football, especially in the NFL. Now, if you're going to Canadian league, you know you're not going unless you're a bona fide player. You don't have to play about ten seasons in order to okay. You want to live like you want to live, then you're gonna have to make that big bank. But yeah, um, and Anthony Gonzalez case, he was a first round draft pick for the Colts. He actually only played like four seasons, maybe three and a half seasons, and was riddled with injuries. But he's the state of Ohio congressman right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's a Republican state of Ohio congressman. And 
you know, he basically used his platform to implement changes and stuff that he seen fit here in the state of Ohio. And so, I mean, he's, he's very successful um, at what he's doing life after sports. I've had a couple of conversations with him. I, I try and keep myself um, in tune with a lot of athletes that played at Ohio state, just because I'm right there on the forefront. And a lot of these guys see me out in the community. That's what I've been able to do is able to brand myself. And I've also been able to teach other guys how to brand themselves and take control of their likeness or their likeness. Um, so individuals can profit off of it. You know, now that it's coming into play to where current players can do it. So that just basically gives me um, a lot more resources at my disposal to be able to teach guys and show them, hey, man, you don't need to go and sit down at a car dealership or, you know, you could do your own interviews after the game on your YouTube channel, monetize that. You can basically control your image. If people want autographed pictures of it, you control it. You create your own website, put your pictures up there where people know that only they can only get it from you. Yeah. And so and that's how you basically merchandise it. And that's what I do. I, I got wholesalers that I deal with that's licensed to Ohio State. Because a lot of people see me out on game day. I'm sitting in the parking lot with the fans, tailgating, selling Ohio State stuff. Now, Ohio State has had me removed once <laughs> or so. uh, Because they felt like it was a conflict of interest and I'm taking money out of their pocket. You know, I, that, now that right there in itself is a, is a deep story. But since I was on Ohio State's property, I'm not allowed to sell Ohio State licensed product. You got to get clearance for that. Yeah. But the uh, the sheriff that came to remove me was like, "Hey, man, uh, if you you like one of my favorite players, so if you just move across the street where that land isn't owned by Ohio State, you can just talk to the property owners and they'll let you do the same thing." And so that's what I did. I just moved right over into more of the tailgating section of how Ohio State stadiums is set up. And it was, I didn't have any other issues out of Ohio State. And so, um, like, I do my own custom jerseys from Ohio State. I mean, they don't say Ohio State because that's trademark and licensed, but it's branded with my company, Buckeye Con. So it looks like Ohio State's logo, but this is actually a Block C, not a Block O. So okay. that's the way you get around. This is like little nuances that I've learned over the years. Like, oh, okay. And my last name is Cotton. So it goes, it goes hand in hand. So where did you come up with Buck Icon? And, and when did that, when do you officially start that? I officially started it probably, well, not probably. I officially started in 2009. Um, I was going to go the nonprofit route. This, I don't have a nonprofit. Um, so it's just Buck Icon. It's not Buck Icon Foundation. But when I initially started, that was going to be the name. So that's why okay. it's kind of out there in some of the bios. Yeah. But it's called Buck Icon LLC. We're just a for-profit company. And um, what I do is I help former athletes and everyday individuals transition into life after sports. Um, that came about officially in 2013. Um, and so when that happened, it was just like, wow, this is an opportunity. Now I can buy things wholesale. I got wholesale accounts set up with um, like mini helmet companies, Rydell, um, banners, purses, jewelry. 
So anything that's Ohio State. So what I have the luxury to do, you know, ever since then. And so like, say you're having a state fair, like Ohio State has like a big fair, the Ohio State Fair. I'll have former players come out. We'll, you know, hang out. And we have an unbelievable setup, about five tables. And it's all spread out with jerseys, T-shirts, hats, all types of goodies that people can pick from. And everybody wants to get autographed. Everybody want to get pictures. And so it's cool when you have, like, I mean, I used to be popular, but I'm not as popular and I'm, I'm an intelligent guy. So I'll bring out guys that just played at Ohio State yep. that's yep. more recognizable. And so when they see these guys, we always wear our game jersey. So it's identifiable. And people will be like, oh, let me get a picture. In order to get a picture, you just got to make a donation to our football camp for kids with special needs. And so people will drop, you know, a buck in there or they'll drop a hundred bucks in there. But that's just, you know, cash flow that I use to circumvent my free camps that I do for kids with autism, Down syndrome, and cerebral palsy. So it's great that it, it's able to come full circle. So I took the mentality of like, whenever teams want to get a new stadium built, who's the first people they ask? They ask the taxpayers, right? Yeah. So if yeah. I want to do free things in the community, first people I'm gonna ask is the taxpayers. So people come to the fair to enjoy themselves. I'm just out there. You know, and all of the all of the proceeds from our merchandising, you know, it benefits our free camp for underprivileged kids and kids with special needs. So that's the real cool thing about things for myself. How'd you get into the special needs? Because that's um, a that's a very distinct thing, you know. Yeah, I have a couple of relatives that had special needs, but just as a player, man, whenever you whenever I used to go to hospitals or you know, just go and do events, man. That was one of the one things that I felt that those kids or adults, man, they just don't have um, people to come and hang out with them or just spend time with them or give them attention. Uh, another cool thing that I used to do, is we used to go around, go around to the elderly homes, the old folks home and just hang out with them, take pictures, play cards with them. And, you know, they haven't seen a family in years. And so that's, that's one of the things that I also like to do is just, you know, make sure the elderly is taken care of, the kids. And so that's that was another reason why I got myself in a position to offer financial literacy as well. Yeah. You you help so many people out, man. What do you do for yourself? What's what's fun for James? Like what is what do you what are you gonna do to to go have a good time? Uh right now, man, is <laughs> try and race my kids like I got a 12 <laughs> she's pretty athletic and she like thinks she could beat me in a foot race and then I got a six-year-old and so those are the things for myself man is like being able to go swimming with them and create experiences man like I've had all of the fun that I could have man being able to play in different countries uh, played in NFL Europe I played in Canada and so I've experienced, like, and I did all of that when I was single. So I was able to come and go as I please, man. Played in some cities, Atlanta. I used to be the mayor of Atlanta. <laughs> no, but those, those, were, those were my ideas of good times. Just like willy-nilly, no kids to tend to. But now, man, as, like, as I retired and my focus has shifted, it's been more on family. So I just want to make sure that my family is happy and I'm able to create, you know, lifetime memories for my kids. You know, we go to Myrtle Beach or go to the mountains a couple times a year. 
And so like that stuff right there, can't nobody take that away from me. Yeah. And hopefully not even the CTEs that I suffered. <laughs> <laughs> you get some alpha brain, man. I've been taking that stuff and uh, it really does have a good effect. Take my ketones in the morning and then I take uh, the alpha brain um, by on it, man. It's, it's really good. Uh, it keeps me focused and keeps me, I, I don't have much uh, memory lapses uh, when I'm on it. So, but you said you were a birthing coach as well. How many of your kids have you birthed? Uh, two. Two. The last two. No, yeah, actually three. The last mm. three. And we had help with the midwife. So we had a midwife and uh, myself. And that was it. That was the only people in the house. So um, we had it right in our bedroom. And that's just like, it's cool because you don't, you don't have to worry about anything happening at the hospital. It's a controlled environment. And a lot of people think like, oh my God, you know, how do you sanitize your house? Or how do you prep for it? It's just like anything, man, you make sure things is clean. All of the linen is clean. Um, and it's just like, you yeah, have a bunch of paper towels and we actually use the birthing tub. So okay, that was real simple and easy, man. But you know, this last one, man, my wife was in the push phase for like two hours. Like normally the push mm. phase, it's it's kind of quick because once the yeah. baby makes its final descent and it's right there crowning, um, it's normally like a smooth, easy process. But this last kid, man, she was kind of like sideways, like <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You know, trying to get in there, and but you know, she finally wiggled her way out, man. And so I got what four girls and one boy. So my oldest, I got an older daughter. She's uh, 26. Okay. She graduated from Ohio University back in 2016. She's off doing her own thing, man. So she got one down, four to go. Four to go. <laughs> and your youngest is a one-year-old, so you got a long way to go. Yeah, it ain't even one yet. Just two months, man. Oh, man. Months. Yeah, she'll be two months, August the 5th. No, How is it? How yeah. is it, how is it um, with a daughter that's 26 and then another one that's two months? Like, like I'm, my, my youngest sister is eight, uh, she was 18, or I was 18 when she was born. So there's an 18 wow. year gap, right? They have a 26 year gap. <laughs> she could almost be the mother. <laughs> right. Or she could be the mother. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's, it's different, man. Like, I got started at such an early age, but I mean, you can just see, like, you know, she would think of the kids as their own. And, you know, she doesn't live with us. My oldest, the 26 year old, she doesn't live with us. She lives in Cleveland, Ohio. But um, so it's like the 12 year old is more so kind of like the one that's got to kind of like do mommy duties to kind of help us out, man, because it's, it's tough, man. If my wife has got the, the newborn breastfeeding, then the one-year-old, he's pissed off because he's still breastfeeding, and so he's, like, salty because he ain't on the boo. Yeah. It's like, you got to try and do double duty. they both doing it at the same time, or, you know, we got to make the 12-year-old hold one of them. But in the middle of the night, man, they get up, you know, every <laughs> hour on an hour, so... It's like sleep is hard to come by over here these days. So, I guess that's the 
that's the pill right there to not have any more. You done? Or you, you want another one? I'm done, man. My wife was talking to me yesterday about, you getting snipped? Because one of my buddies is, uh, <laughs> he's a doctor that handles that type of situation. And uh, so I'm going to make an appointment to go see him. But it was like, you know, for a while, they wasn't doing those types of surgeries except for like emergency type surgery. So now that they've kind of lifted that, that ban, now you can kind of get your elective surgery. So I got to make an appointment, man, just so you don't have any more accidents. <laughs> you don't want to be like Cromarty, huh? One of our children was playing. That was it. One. You said one? Just one. <laughs> Let me guess. That that must be the uh, the six-year-old. Yeah. Because we was like, oh, we got to give her a sibling. <laughs> it's getting too late. And they five years apart, too. So it was like, whoa. <laughs> You're gonna need a reality show with all that going on in the house, man. We actually, we actually working on our YouTube channel. This is kind of like this summer school project, man. Um, so they getting we getting ready to start uploading videos and just trying to do like a family thing, man, and That'd a family cool, man. YouTube channel just so people can tune in. Cause I'll be working the kids out. Um, so we have our family fitness days, and then we do dinner, family dinners, and. My daughter, she loves to bake cookies, and they all they do is watch YouTube and watch kids open up presents and crazy <laughs> it's stuff. Crazy. Like, yeah. yeah, my five-year-old, she does the same thing. All she does is watch YouTube, and like it's a bunch of YouTube videos that I didn't even know existed for these kids. Exactly. And, and there's adults that have these kid like shows. Yeah. Crazy, but they're probably getting so many hits and so many views and making so much money. Yeah, I know. I was like, man, and then my daughter was like, yeah, this lady is like 36, and I was like, doing <laughs> these videos? But I'm like, well, if YouTube AdSense is, is dropping them checks, you know, that's what it is, so I get it. Yeah, definitely gotta try to get that, because, you know, you never know what people are gonna like, and people just gonna gravitate to the, the family atmosphere, and lifestyle and they find some likeness within themselves and then you know you're established um you know ex football player uh that does a lot for the community so you know a lot of people in a lot of different areas that will be attracted to what you're doing that'd be awesome yeah well let's talk yeah, about okay. growing up in cleveland when did you yeah, start playing I, sports i started playing basketball was like my favorite sport so like my dad my my dad played um college basketball and college baseball so I was just kind of like my dad was like a gym rat is always at the gym so he would take me play basketball so I was playing with grown men like when I was like 11 12 years old for basketball and it was like you know that's what I wanted to be was a hooper and then my cousins that I was with daily they were the football players so they was like oh man you gotta play football so we played tackle football but I didn't play football until my ninth grade I didn't play organized football until I got in the ninth grade really and then like I actually quit I was like man y'all crazy y'all get that was like, why I when I was younger man all these people hitting me like they ain't with this mm -mm. so I quit man and I was like hiding from them and then I was like they told my dad my dad was like man come here 
It was like, if you quit football right now, he was like, you're going to probably quit everything else you try in life. So that was like actually a, a sticking point and a quote that sticks with me all, all, of, all of this while, man. It's like, you can't fail if you don't quit. So, you know, I was just grateful that my dad was, was like sensible in that regard. And it was like some of my dad's best friends in high school um, went on to play in the NBA. And like, so it was like, and this was like back in the day. So it was cool to see those guys on a regular basis. And it was like, my dad is still in touch with his friends to this day. And that's how I am, man. It's like, I got friends from when I was like six years old and we all keep in contact today. And that's what, that's how Cleveland is. It's kind of segregated when I grew up. It was kind of like whites versus blacks. It was like literally my, name of my high school was Collinwood Railroaders. And it was wow. like, if you cross the other side of the tracks, you was going to get your ass beat by some white folk, man. And it was like tough. And so it was like, if you missed the bus and you had to walk to school, you get chased to school, bats, chains, man, it was it was tough. And things didn't calm down until one of my dudes killed, killed somebody. And that's how, that's, we had this big race riot. And it was this, and then we talking 1992, yeah. 91, you know what I'm saying? It's not that long ago. And so that's why when you see the stuff that's happening around the world, stuff that happened with George Floyd and what happened with Rodney King back then, and then now, you know, George Floyd, man, it's just like the boiling point. You know, at what point do we start treating everybody equal and understand that we all got human rights? That's it. And so that was that was tough for me. Like a lot of my dudes didn't make it out of the hood. So growing up in Cleveland was tough, man. I grew up in the inner city. And I, my my world didn't change until I went to junior college. I went to City College of San Francisco and like being in California and that diversity out there really opened up my eyes to just like, man, it is more things going on than fighting and selling drugs. So Yeah. But just growing up in that environment, that's all you're seeing, that's all you're you're around all the time. My dad played college basketball too, and, and basketball is my favorite sport. Um I thought I was going to be a hooper, you know, and then, uh, yeah, my dad's, my dad's like six, two, though, six, two and a half. And my brother, you know, he's, um, he's 12 years younger than me and he's six, four. Okay. Right. So I'm just a short guy on the block. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't get the height. I always said, man, if I was six, two, I'd have played in the NBA. Right. Yeah. I'd like so to believe like, that. <laughs> you probably could have. I was just, I had the same mentality, man. I was like in high school, man, I wasn't working out for football. I was working out for basketball and it really broke my heart, man. I couldn't play my senior year of basketball because I tore my ACL playing football. And it was like when that happened, all my scholarships went out the window. I just got I just got depressed, man. And Took what position were you playing? When you first uh, started playing, did you play on defense instantly or? Yeah, I played defensive end and tight end like as a freshman. Yeah. And then by the by the end of my freshman year, I was playing varsity, bro. <laughs> I, I mean, Ohio, Ohio football just ain't that great. 
Yeah. So it was like, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. When you, know. when, you, when you go back to those days, like I like I said, I never played organized football. So for me to pick it up and then like I start understanding how to use my hands and tackle and all of that, and yeah. it was just like, hey, this is it. I could do this. But it was just like, because I played basketball, baseball, and football. I would have ran track, but you couldn't play baseball and run track in the same season. Yeah. But it was like, I had a tryout with the Colorado Rockies back in the day. And then it was like, to this day, I kicked myself because I was literally in junior college and I was going to play baseball and football. And I was just like, ah, I'm just going to do football. And I, I kicked myself to this day. I should have just did both. And then I would have transferred to Ohio State and did both. And then I would probably signed a $300 million contract in the MLB. It would have been so much better, so much easier. You know, I was talking to my brother got drafted by the Minnesota Twins last year. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so. Awesome. Um, I was talking to Damon Allen a couple weeks ago on the podcast, and we were talking about that. You know, in uh, I think it was 93, uh, 1993, uh, he got an invite to go join the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. He went to a, so he had just got through playing with Hamilton. And um, he gets the invite to the, camp or the tryout and they sign him wow but this is 10 years into his pro career eight or eight years in i think his first year was 85 you know he played 23 years right so so like right there at eight years in just finished his eighth season he's now has a chance to go play um pro baseball as a pitcher and they signed him but then they were just like you know um, you're already 30 and you haven't pitched in 10 years. We need to start you out, you know, single A, double A. And he chose at that point, he was like, you know what? I don't know if I'll ever make it there because of this. Right. Because he's always 30. And that's the same thing. But so he goes back and back to Edmonton and, and finishes his CFL career. Hall of Fame. Yeah. 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 Dope career. I had a, I had a pick six on him. It was uh, actually, um, as a professional, that was my only pick six ever. Really? It was like, he tried to throw a bullshit screen. I was like, oh, this <laughs> was like 32 formation with a week back. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a screen. So I baited him in. Like, I act like I was going with the dive, pop back out, one hand snag. This was Labor Day Classic, too. Mm. 2005? No, it might have been 2006. I think it was 2005, Labor Day Classic, man. Hamilton, Toronto. That was the game winner. It was like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> did you? When did you create the mentality? You need a second? When did you create the mentality that you wanted to start taking over? Was that already in you? Like you said, you started on a freshman team, then made it to varsity that same season. So, like, what was it inside of you that that came out that allowed you to excel so quickly? You know, it wasn't really until I went to junior college, man. My junior college was – because it was like high school to me. It was just like – I was really following people around because it was like my cousins that I looked up to, they all played football and then, like, 
when I got moved up to varsity, I was playing football with them. So I was just really following a league. I was just a quiet guy. It's a very observant guy. So it was like the leaders that I had on, on my high school team just was like older cool dudes from the hood. You know what I'm saying? They had the girls. They just had personality. And I was like, I didn't really have that much personality. I was just soaking it all in. But when I went to junior college where nobody knew who I was, I was able to implement that style. So as a freshman in my junior college team, I was a team captain. Mm. And I was like first team captain, freshman, like in, in the school's history at that time. And then obviously I was a captain the following season. But it was like, that's when I was able to develop my own work ethic. And like my coach was real instrumental with just like, you know what I'm saying? He was like, you're going to be the guy, you know, so I'm looking to you. And it was like, nobody knew that I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a real good salesman at this point because I'm just basically reenacting what I've seen. And I knew it was right because we was winning when these things was happening. So like, and then it's just like, damn, I'm, I'm really a real good athlete. Like then it was like, I'm buying into slowly, but surely buying into myself. And then once I, went all in and just like my work ethic and then just like getting big in the weight room, getting fast. It was just like, didn't nobody have like my measurables. Like I'm six, three and a half running the four, four and the 40, just crushing people, man. So it was just like, can't nothing go wrong. I recovered off of an ACL injury. Um, and then that was like, that was like a real dark time. Cause like when I tore my knee up, uh, all my scholarships was gone. I had no idea what I was going to do. It was between going to Fork Union Military Academy, where like guys like Eddie George went to, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to no prep school. And then I was going to go to a junior college in Mississippi or City College of San Francisco. And the only person that got back with me uh, junior college-wise was San Francisco. And so my dad got me a one-way ticket. Like, you ain't coming back home, dog. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm hanging around with dope boys, gangbangers. My dad was like, this ain't, this ain't you, man. So, but it was like, like I said, when I got to San Francisco, it was an eye-opening experience. And it was just, it was, it was really a challenge for myself. I really wanted to, to do good and, you know, make my own way. So, when I tore my ACL in high school, man, I took two years off. I graduated high school in 94, and I graduated when I was like 16 and a half just because of my birthday. It's a November birthday. And so I took two years off. I didn't go to college. I didn't go to junior college until 96. And so 96, I was able to re like those two years, I was able to rehab. A lot of people actually thought I went to jail. Cause I just secluded myself, depressed, worked out. was like, you know what? I'm getting ready to turn my life around. And then it wasn't until people see me playing on Saturdays at the Ohio state where it was like, he got out of jail and, and playing at Ohio state. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, nah, I went to, went to a community college for two years and then transferred to Ohio state. But that's when, that's when I realized, you know, at, at San Francisco city college that I could be, like one of the good ones I could be remembered. Yeah. And so that was like always been my driving force was just my work ethic. It's like you may be more talented than me, but you're not gonna outwork me. Yeah. Is that how you graduated at sixteen? Like did you skip a grade or 
no, nah, I just started school early because I, I was the worst student ever. Mm -hmm. It was just like my mom started me in school early. And I think she just lied to the school and said I was um, six to start school when I was really five. And because she didn't have no way to get me babysitted. So that was the only way that, I, that she could work. And you know what I'm saying? So. So then you would process, yeah. I ended up going to school early and hey, and it is it just came back. It actually was a blessing in disguise because I was able to use those two years and not really be like twenty when I would have been like eighteen. So yeah. it worked out. When you were growing up, did you always want to go to O State? Was that nah. the plan? Nope, that wasn't the plan at all, man. Uh, when I came out of high school, I never was into like football like that. I didn't really follow college football in the 90s, like the early 90s when I was in high school. It was just something that I glossed over. But I had a full ride to the University of Kentucky because they was going to let me play um, basketball and football. Okay. And so, like I said, when I tore my ACL, the University of Kentucky was actually the only ones that stuck with me. Um, because I had an offer from Indiana as well, basketball and football. You'd have been so, there with Anwar. Yep. Anwar Stewart. Yeah. Um, so that would have been it would have been ideal, but you know, when I went to junior college, the coaching staff got fired at Kentucky because there was one guy, his name was Ray Dorr. The dude just liked me, man, and he would call me every day. So this is the time period from 94 to 96. He was like, you know, if you're going to go to a community college, you know, you might as well go there and play football because I was going to the local community college in Cleveland, like I was saying, rehabbing and like just trying to get my life in order. And when I did that, it started my clock to ticking. I had no idea. And so I, when I enrolled full classes there, then I gave up. You know, the first two years, I had to basically get a degree in order to qualify for a full athletic scholarship. So, but this coach at Kentucky, he was like, you know, here's here's the number to these junior colleges, you call them. But he was like, you just got so much talent, you just don't want it to go to waste. But he called me every week, like. Yeah. That's, that's something, man like how close it could have been for you not to have done that. What would you, what do you think you have done in life if, if football never would have been a part of it? I would have basically probably got a job with the city. My dad's a civil engineer for the city of Cleveland. So I would have ended up being a civil engineer probably with my dad. My dad would have got me on with the city, so. Yeah, that's probably what I've been. I've just been like a, a gym legend, probably just playing rec basketball. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's about it. And it's just like it's so many of those type of guys in my neighborhood where they just wasn't able to take advantage of getting the opportunity. Yeah. And so that's why when I got the opportunity, I was like, I am not going to give this up. So. When you left Ohio State looking at the NFL, CFL, what was because I noticed you went somewhere first, the hitman. Yeah. What were the hitman? That was the New York, New Jersey hitman. If you just 
heard that Rock bought Dwayne Johnson, he bought the XFL or whatnot. Yep. So that was the first XFL. And so basically my career goes, okay. I, leave, yeah. I leave Ohio State. I was in draft class 2000, Chicago Bears, me, Brian Arlacher, Hall of Famer. His locker was right next to mine, man. He was like, man, I wish I was in your position. I was like, dude, I was a seventh round draft pick. We could trade signing bonuses any day. <laughs> <laughs> but he was struggling, man. I was like, because they had him playing Sam linebacker over the tight end. I was mm. like, man, you're too athletic to be checking a tight end every play. And he was just confused. And I was playing defensive end. So I was like the nickel pass rush defensive end. My first game with the Bears, man, I had out the gate three sacks. Man, when it come first cut, I was the first cut. Like, wow. like, how does that happen? I was leading the NFL during the preseason in sacks. And so come to find out, you know what I'm saying? I had like a back issue that I had no idea, but I had a, a real bad back spasm when I was with the Bears in training camp because I was taking all of the reps and they was just running me into the ground. And so I, I didn't find this out until I had a workout with the New York Jets. So I got released from the Bears, not knowing that I was hurt, but they knew it. So I guess they must have felt like, oh, this guy's damaged goods. Yeah. And not only that, the guy that drafted me, Rick Spielman, who's the vice president of player personnel for the Minnesota Vikings now, but his brother is Chris Spielman that played. Yeah, linebacker. And he was the guy that was like, you know, vouch for me. Like, hey, man, if I got to get in the foxhole with somebody, it's going to be James Cotton. So, so that's how I got drafted by the Bears because Rick Spielman was the vice president of the Bears at the time. But he left and took a job in Miami two months later. So it was like, if you wasn't a first round pick, then you wasn't going to be with the Bears after that season because everybody know they're bringing in their own regime. Yeah. Um, so after I left the Bears, I tried out for the Jets. Um, Bill Parcells stopped my workout. This is when Bill Parcells was the general manager. He said, son, he looked me directly in my eyes. He said, are you on drugs or is there something going on with you that I don't know about? Because he said, you remind me of Lawrence Taylor, just hands down. Like, this is off of workout. I'm going through bag drills. Then I run the 40. They was like, whoo. So they was like, okay, we got a bye week. We're going to sign you to the practice squad. Go back to Ohio, get all your stuff. So I'm like, bet. I'm about to be a Jet. You know, like, call my parents, go get all my stuff, pack my stuff up, bring it back to New York, all to take a physical and fail. Mm. Then they sent me back to Ohio, and I was sick, man. So I I put my name into the XFL. This is when this new league was starting, and I didn't know when I signed this in the XFL contract that I gave up my rights. And then the, um, this was the year that the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl. So I was cool with the GM because, like, now I'm basically – in between teams, so now I'm basically waiting on somebody to call me, come work me out, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Baltimore Ravens called me because I was calling them like clockwork because they was really interested in me because they played a 3-4 defense, and I was like, I was an outside linebacker, yep. you know, for that. And they wasn't even going to work me out. They was just going to sign me, and they 
they was like, all right, you ready? We're going to bring you in. We already know what you can do. We're going to sign you. Uh, um, and then the dude called me back in like an hour and was like, you signed a contract at the XFL? I was like, uh, yeah. He was like, oh, we can't get you out of that one. So they actually signed my roommate from an all-star game. Me and him played the exact same position. Mm. This, this dude signed, win the Super Bowl with them. I was like, wow. That's how close it was. Now, then I played in the XFL 2001. Then I come up to Calgary because uh, the XFL went from February to June and I went up to Calgary from June to uh, November. We won the great, great Cup. Yeah. I think I had like 11 sacks, man. Led the team and tackles for loss. Then I played well enough. I ended up making a bad decision to go play for the Bills. The Bills, <laughs> they didn't want to utilize me right. Uh, they didn't want to let me pass rush, man. So then... The Bills released me. Then I came back up to Calgary and finished that season out. Um, and then I told Wally, you got to release me out of my contract um, because if he would have let me finish out the season, then my rights still would have been up in, um, at, Canada. Up in Canada. And Is that 03? That was, this was 02. This was the 02 okay. season. So he let me out of my contract. And then I signed with the Atlanta Falcons. And then that was when we went up to Green Bay and beat Green Bay. And then we lost to Philadelphia in a net, an NFC championship game when they had the Donovan McNabb, T.O. Yeah. And, and I played with the Falcons that following year, 2003 and four. And then I went up to Hamilton, played in Hamilton 05 to 07. And then that was it for me. That was my career. But for the most part, like, when I played full seasons, man, I was able to average double digits and sacks. Got lucky, won the Great Cup. So, and we was poopy, man. We was only 8 and 10, and then we got – One of the last three to get in. <laughs> Ran the table, man, so. Didn't Winnipeg sit, like, most of their starters the last game of the season? Yep. And y'all beat them and then end up playing them in the Great Cup? That's yep. crazy. That's crazy. That's so crazy. When you look yeah, back at your had, career, uh, they you had think? uh I think Milt Stiegel was the man for um Winnipeg then. They had Milt G. Roy, uh, uh Robert Gordon. Uh Marvin Coleman. Yeah. Um Jerron Bowden. Yeah. yeah. They had they had a squad, man. Yeah, Roberts so was the running back. Yeah, Charles thing. Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> Little Joyce. He's be smoking squares. He's be smoking <laughs> squares at halftime. I used to be like, what is this? He didn't stretch uh, either. But when you look back at your career, what do you think about it? Like, and you just look at like everything that you, when you started in the ninth grade to what you accomplished for going to Ohio State, which is a prominent college, you know, getting a degree in education there. And then you look at, just going to the NFL and the CFL and playing just all over the world, like you said, how you view it? Do you view it as success? Yeah, I, I view it as an experience that I had, man. And um, I like to think that it was successful because I won championships on every level that I played on high school. We won the city championship, uh, junior college. We won a um, national championship out there. 
um, Ohio State Big Ten champions, Sugar Bowl champions, then um, in Canada, Grey Cup champion. So I've experienced championships on every level. I can talk about that. I know what it takes to have championship pedigree. And, you know, for me, it was just like, I look at the sport now and be like, wow, I can't believe I used to do that full time, you know, like running into people, you see people get rocked. I'm just like, woo. But, you know, <laughs> just a, a different mentality that I had, man. And so when I look back at my career, I'm, I'm just in amazement that I was able to do some things. I was like post some highlights that I had chasing a guy down. This guy was a fantasy guy from Penn State and like I walked him down. I was just like, damn, I, I can't believe I did that. You was running by DBs. <laughs> like if I compared you to anyone, it would be like Fred Perry. Cause yeah, Fred was I, a Southern like artist. And he I was like a four, four guy. He was a low four four guy as well. He could really run till he until he hurt his knee. But he was, yeah. Fred actually had our punt return record at college, so I broke it. Oh yeah. <laughs> play uh play backer and then go drop back and return punts. <laughs> yeah, linebacker returning punts. Yeah. Break and that's run. What I, that's what I wanted to do because I, I played running back in high school, man. I, I rushed for over a G in seven games in high school, and then I tore my ACL. Oh, wow. And that was like no offensive line, nobody blogging. I was just running for my life. <laughs> no, man, that's 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 good, man. That's I just look at it, and that's why I love this podcast so much is because you get to see into – people just think you show up one day, right? People just think, okay, he just went to Ohio State. He got a degree or he got a scholarship, went to Ohio State. Like, they don't know you tore your ACL. They don't know that you went to junior college. They don't know you took two years off. You know, to stay focused and to stay on a path that led you to where you are today, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, man. I'm just blessed, honestly, man, that I've been able to have those types of experiences, man. And it's obviously that God has had a plan for me, and I'm just trying to listen to that plan and, and you know, stay on the path. And now – I feel like my job is to let people know kind of like the importance of leaving a legacy, man. And that's why I got into the insurance business and now um, financial planning business. So that's why I'm really excited about, you know, having the opportunity to get some exposure. And like, this was honestly an opportunity to get the, for me to get more tools in my tool belts and help more people just beyond what I've been able to do so far. So I'm constantly, constantly trying to get better, constantly trying to just help other people, man. This guy told me the more people you help, the more you help yourself. So that's it. That's the way I dealt with depression, man, is um, find my happiness and helping others. Right. So no doubt, no uh, doubt, man. It's definitely, it's definitely great. Before we get up off here, one thing I want to know from your standpoint, because you're still so close to the game, thinking back to the 90s, we talk about the game back then and how much more violent you got, you know, uh, you think about that Ravens team in the early 2000s, that defense. Looking at defensive ends, in your perspective, how has that position changed over the course of when you were in college to now the college kids and pro kids? Uh, yeah, I can definitely answer that. 
you're muted. All right, yeah. The defensive end position basically has gotten more athletic. I think since a lot of teams used to have bruising tackles and, you know, the run game used to be so prominent that a lot of your defensive ends used to be typically, you know, 6'5", 280, just kind of like more heavier set. And I think with the speed of the game, a lot of coordinators understood that, man, if I can get some more speed out here or if I can make this um, – small linebacker, more athletic, I can put them down in a defensive end position and 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 out-athletic the tackles. And so I think that's why – and now you see the tackles becoming more slim, more athletic. And so it's just really changing the game all the way around. But, like, back in the day when you used to think of defensive end, you're thinking of bone crushing, taking on double teams, like, you know, just – bruisers but now when you think of the concept of defensive end it's more so controlling the edge setting the edge not even in the physical standpoint but as a presence but using that speed to get in the backfield and become a disruptor and so I think that's kind of like the defensive end position and so uh, what I figured out since I played middle linebacker in junior college and then when I got to Ohio State they forced me to move to defensive end I basically was able to get the best of both worlds, which made me kind of like a linebacker that played defensive end. And once I figured it out and understood all the concepts, and as a middle linebacker and team captain, I had to know what everybody was doing on the field. So whatever team I went to, I always made sure I knew what the safeties was doing, what the defensive tackles was doing, what the linebackers was doing. And then once you figure all of that out, you master that, and then you pay attention to what's happening, the route combinations, like. You know, I was like, they used to call me the computer when I was in Calgary because it was like I knew what what team was running before they knew what was happening. So I was just kind of like trying to communi communicate that with my teammates. I was telling you about the interception that I had. Like, it's like, you know, formation recognition and understanding the concept of what the offense is trying to do to you. And, like, once guys that play defense figure that out, and study film, then you just become an all-around complete football player. So that's what I think about defensive ends and just that position is like you have an opportunity to do so much more because what if your middle linebacker get hurt? It can put you as a defensive end in the middle. Yeah. I remember, I'll never forget, 2002, <laughs> Alondra Johnson got hurt. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I told the coach, man, put me in middle linebacker. So they put me at middle. We was playing MVC on the road. Man, I knocked Sean Millington's helmet off. Kapaya, <laughs> I wish I could find this collision, man. It was unbelievable. It was like one of my hardest hits ever, man. Him, and I think I hit knee line green. I knocked him completely out cold. <laughs> Hey, man, that's violent right there. That's violent. No, that's awesome. You know what I'm saying? And I, I completely agree with you that the game is changing. Guys are getting smaller, becoming more athletic. But just like you said, to, to have longevity, you have to outthink the game. Physical tools at one point start to decline. And if you can't start to cheat the game, then you'll never be able to keep up with it. Right. So when you see these guys playing 10 plus years, those, you know, 
those are the guys, you know, even, what, six-plus years, those are the guys that are out thinking the game because, you know, unless your body just gives out on you, right? Yeah, that was pretty much what was happening to me. It was like my body pretty much – my knees, I should say, not my body, but my knees just – became it was just harder to recover man my knees wasn't recovering as fast as I wanted and then like I said I, I just felt and I noticed myself losing a step so that's why I kind of was like oh well you know I need to start thinking about something else because your body takes a pounding especially if you can't plan in the trenches yeah it's tough you got anything for the student athletes before we get off here that they need to know like going into college or leaving out of college uh, just some general knowledge that what they need to really t start to focus on. Yeah, they just got to focus on, you focus on your craft, but then you also have to focus on your education. It's like, like sports is a tool that you can use that'll open up many, many doors. But man, once you master like understanding businesses, understanding how to critically think, that's what I think college is mainly for, for, is to learn how to critically think, man. You'll be able to experience experiences that a lot of people don't get the opportunity to experience and take advantage and savor those moments. You know, just enjoy the moment. It's okay to look ahead, plan ahead, all of that good stuff. But man, while you're in college, enjoy it because it goes fast. That's one of the one things that I don't regret anything, but it's just like when looking back on it, I wish I would have spent more time with certain people, you know, just to share some more of those moments that you miss because, you know, those opportunities are not going to be available ever again. So, you know, they just got to focus and then master critically thinking. That's the main thing I can share with anybody. Focus and learn how to critically think because you're going to have to think your way into some good situations and you're going to have to think your way out of some bad situations. So yeah. you're going to be yeah. faced with both of them, but as long as you master and understand how to critically think and, you know, people just got to take some time and, and know who they really are. That's how you find out on whether or not you understand how to critically think. Man, I appreciate you coming through. Can you let people know how they can get a hold of you? On social media, you said earlier, uh, Buck Icon on YouTube. Yep, Buck Icon on YouTube. Or if you want to just shoot me an email, info, I-N-F-O, at Buck, B-U-C-K-I-C-O-N.com. Um, if you want to shoot me a text, 614-517-2172. If you're dealing with a transition you need some help with, willing to discuss that or if you got some insurance needs that you guys need for your families to make sure your family is taken care of shoot me a text i would love to inform you and get you educated on that whole process there it is any last words brother i appreciate you for coming on man that's been awesome i appreciate you having me out on here man i really appreciate it man it's always good to talk to a guy that played for the stampeders and won some championships man i just i love what you're doing as well um i hope we can continue to keep in contact and maybe even do some business together so we have some 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 talkings off the record but on the record man i'm busy as i don't know what and then i'm gonna try and get back to you and let you know what yeah. I think about it.
some of the stuff that we talked about. Yeah, and then, um, like I said, with this media company, man, I think you would be great for uh, one of the things I'm, I'm planning on doing with it. So I'm going to keep you busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep you busy. Feed those kids, man. For sure, man. I Take appreciate it, man. For sure, man. Hey, you be easy, my brother. And you we too, out. Brother.